Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Cameron, how are you dealing with this July weather up in Iowa? You know, the only way we can, by painting. Like, that's what we do when it's uh, this hot outside. Are you inside painting or outside painting? Uh, both. Right now, it, like the patio needed a good painting, and there's no air conditioning in there. And it's a oh. hot box. <laughs> Nice. Nice. Yeah. I just picture uh-huh. you, you know, like jeans, like a workman's belt, <laughs> white T-shirt with the comb over, yep. you know, maybe a pencil behind your ear, just working it, you know, <laughs> just working it. I love it, dude. Um, yeah. The image is more important to me than the actual getting work done. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Like you, you're just out there just like looking, you're looking like a Home Depot commercial. Exactly. Yeah. I about yeah. made a Bob Vila reference, but then I realized <laughs> I don't know how many people listening to this know who Bob Vila is anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um Cameron. Light news week. Very light. In fact, there's a story. However, I played a lot of magic. Looks like you played a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh still playing this kind of uh four color, five color Niv Mizzet deck. How's that been treating you lately? When it works, it's great. Um, and then against like any of the actual control matchups, it's um, just a dumpster fire. I mean, they wrath everything, they counter everything, and it's nothing. But like, I, I, I still really like the idea of this deck because it is kind of like this combo thing with, I mean, like on turn five sometimes, it's or even turn four, Omnath... With the Fabled Passage, you play that, fetch it, gives you five more mana or four more mana in order then to play a Niv-Mizzet. So, I mean, like, you can get, like, these absurd draws where you have ten power on the battlefield and five cards in hand uh, that can, you know, answer almost any other threat, right? So, in that sense, I really, really like it, but I still think for Explore there are probably other combo type decks out there that are you know clearly better um you know grease fang being i would say the one that's still i think a little bit more interesting as far like you're gonna win more games with it you know um but overall like i'm I'm really digging this deck it's it's just kind of a squeaky wheel that i i love trying to fine-tune or try to figure out you know but um i don't know it's good and it it, it is for some reason, I think Wizards doesn't know how to pair me up against other people with the algorithm or whatever it is. I feel like the matchups have been very diverse, like a wide diversity of decks, which is fantastic, honestly. Well, I I, I do want to talk a lot about Explorer here because I've been, shall we say, exploring the format a little bit more. Hmm. Um, and I really... You know, believe it or not, sometimes you do influence my deck decisions, Cameron. Hmm. Uh, and I was thinking, okay, well, I'll play the Nimiza deck. And I kind of started to Google around, and I stumbled upon this monstrosity. Uh, I want you to click on this deck. It, I am Mr. Find the Established Deck and Tune It the Way I Want. And that's very hmm. much what I've done with Esper Midrange in Standard. Which, by the way, 
we're not really going to talk about standard. Standard's in a very good place. You should be playing it. These people that are saying that standard is no good and hasn't been good for years are not playing the current standard. It's it's just fine. It's it's a really it's better than fine. It's it's better than it's been in a while. Now, this deck is so rough around the edges that I've been working on it, but there is something here. Hmm. And I don't know if you've played against this, but here is what it's an elemental deck. You play Gigantha as your companion, which is kind of neither here nor there. You have Risen Reef. Do you know what the card Grinning Ignis is, Cameron? Not familiar. It's a three mana 2-2, two, two, which, I mean, that seems like an explorer powerhouse already, right? <laughs> anyway, you pay a red to return it to its, its, your hand, and then you get two colorless and a red. You can only do this during a sorcer- at sorcery speed, right? But if you have Burgie, God of Storytelling, in play, you can do this in perpetuity. Because every time you cast a spell, you add a red mana. Okay? There are other little things like this. Like if you have Runaway Steamkins, you can generate mana if you can get to the third counter, and then you can net out possible positive mana. You're also playing Hazard's Monument, which reduces the cost. So that can also make... You're grinning Ignis Infinite. So what you do is you play this with Collected Company and Risen Reef and some other things. The build I played had a Boreal Grazer, which I'm going to tell you right now, do not do. That card is trash in this deck, and you should mm. not play it. Yeah. Um, because there's just not enough lands to set it off. I'm the kind of guy that I need 26 lands if I'm going to be playing a Boreal Grazer kind of thing. Um, anyway... So I, I've messed around with the Creature Suite quite a bit. But the main core is Runaway Steamkin, Thunderkin Awakener, which is just kind of a value play, Burgie, Grinning Ignis, Risen Reef, and then there's the good old two of Devilish Valet. And again, probably don't know what this card is. So it's two and a red for a Trample Haste creature that's a 1-3. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield you double his power and toughness. So you can loop the Grinning Ignis to make this guy a 64-3. You just double his power, sorry. Mm -hmm. Or 128-3. Not a problem at all, okay? (laughs) You can also uh, just generate enough money to draw your one of Banefire, and you draw, like, once you're going off Mm -hmm. in the combo, you have Hazard's Monument, which allows you to... Basically, draw and, uh, discard and draw every time you play uh, your Grinning Ignis. But then you also have uh, Risen Reef, which allows you to have these incredibly busted turns, right? Because, by the way, every time you're replaying a Grinning Ignis, it sets off the Risen Reef. Mm-hmm. So it'll either put a land in play or draw your card. So you're able to, once you have some number of this three-card combo in play, yeah. you have infinite mana to fireball your opponent into next week, or you create a giant devilish valet and this is a haste creature by the way so this happens all of a sudden like usually you're like in the process of going off and then you find the card put it in play because you have infinite mana and then you attack here's the thing this deck is very good against fair decks yeah and i've i got through the upper level platinum and into diamond with this deck like i was kind of alarmed (laughs) And when this deck is bad, it is terrible. It does absolutely stone nothing, which I feel is the way with almost every Risen Reef deck I've ever played Mm. ever. Um, But when you do it, 
you really get them because there are multiple times where I've been way behind. I've been at one. And once the combo starts to go off, like keep in mind, there's not an endurance in this format or a fury or a force of will. Like once you know the coast is clear, you really know the coast is clear, right? And I've even mm-hmm. had times where guys have fatal pushed one of my devilish valets and then I bane fire him for like 40. And then it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because I'm still in the process of going off. So they still have to have two separate answers because you have the ability to draw your entire deck with all your mana. There is a possibility that if you're, quote, going off with like 10 cards left in your deck, you won't get there in time. Um, but that typically doesn't happen. You're usually way before that occurs. Um, sideboarding in this deck is really hard because you really need a nice um, density to the combo. Mm-hmm. And the main reason I cut a Boreal Grazer is every time that was the number one card that went. Right, And I've seen versions of this deck that play like 20, 21 lands and then like Tangled, uh, uh, was it Tangled Fanglehorn or whatever it is? Florhedron. Tangled yeah. Florhedron. That's right. I just made yeah. up a word for that. I, I, I like your name better. <laughs> <laughs> but there is also, by the way, you just overwhelm your opponent and kill them. Like that happens more than you might think once you collect a company a couple times. And this deck does this deck does miss on collected companies more often than your average collected company deck hmm. because you have to have four hazards monument four collected companies and one fireball effect so you do find yourself getting into that mode and again collected company with a boreal grazer just sucks like it is I was just say, the, like that seems awful <laughs> like you just want to live in a world where you you know get it on turn one but that doesn't happen. Thunderkin Awakener is a weird one because the games where that card takes over, it really gets out of hand very quickly. But a, a lot of times, it's kind of the weak link in this whole operation. But Burgi also does du- double duty because sometimes you'll have one in play and then you'll play the flip side so you can draw through your deck if you don't have any Risen Reefs in play. And like if you just have Hazardous Monument, you can just... Anyway, so there's a ton of different combo avenues with this deck. Yeah. And, like, usually when I talk about, like, an experiment deck, like my Lotus Field Control deck, I'm like, you know, this is honestly not that good. There is really something here. The deck lists that exist are just really untuned. Like, they Mm -hmm. scream that when you look at them. But that core of Burgie plus Grinning Ignis. Yeah. It it feels like it has, like, a Bomberman sort of element to it, but also, like, a food chain element to it. And... I, I don't know, like, this is the sort of combo deck that I, I like seeing, honestly, in, in something like Explorer. It seems super interesting, and yeah, it's like, it's just ripe for, like, some tuning, because yeah, I would totally sub out those Arboreal Grazers, maybe find, like, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of, like, what else you would want in that, but, like, man, like, maybe, like, a, a Chandra of some sort, I don't know, but, like, this is great, I love this deck. So here's what I'll tell you. You do need it to be a creature uh, because of the collected companies. Sure, yeah. Um, and then there's not a really great elemental answer. I've tried to find some that were that could come back into play with Thunderkin Awakener, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of obnoxiously difficult. But, um, dude, the other thing that's got real value with this deck is people have no idea what's going on, and so they <laughs> let you go. Or they make yeah. just the dumbest mistakes. Um, 
I beat a guy purely because I had my Burgie in play. I had to pass the turn with some other creatures, and he chose to target the Risen Reefs <laughs> instead of my Burgie or my Grinning Ignis. And so it was like, untap, kill ya. Uh, like, <laughs> just no awareness of what the combo was at all. So th- that's a rare thing, I think, in Magic these days, um, especially in, in the post-MTG Goldfish world. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like everyone knows what the combo is or what you're doing. And just to, like, really catch someone by surprise, there's, there's some real comedy there. So um, that's been my experience with Explorer. I've probably ruined some people's day. Because when you go off, like, sometimes <laughs> you are going off for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you might draw 30 cards in the process of going off. And for whatever reason, because you're casting a creature, that doesn't go against your timing on Arena the way, like, Tainted Pack did or whatever. Um, <coughs> but, yeah, it's a great time, Cameron. Mm-hmm. It looks super fun. Like, this is saucy, everything I want a combo deck. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it this week. Oh, dude. There's going to be moments where you're like, I've lost, I've lost. And then you're like, wait a minute. I think I can win this game. <laughs> like it just comes out of clean nowhere and it's great. Um, all right, dude. So the one little bit, one little ounce of news is Channel Fireball is being purchased by TCG Player. Now, for what it's worth, we're being told right now that the content that Channel Fireball provides, um, which I actually, of the YouTube channels that I watch uh, of Magic, they're probably the ones that I watch the most. Um, their, their content creators are staying the same. However, we're being told that kind of behind the scenes, like on the dealer level, our friend Jeremy, who, you know, uh, we've been to some of his legacy 4Ks and stuff like that. He's talked about how he thinks this is a potentially bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I guess I just want to get your feel. First of all, what channel fireball in its previous incarnation, how you interacted with that in the past and kind of where you see this headed. Yeah, I mean, I've always sampled the articles. Love, like, I think there's some really good quality writing, and, you know, the people on there are always great. So that's good. Um, yeah, the thing that I think is, like, a, a bummer, more than anything for me, because I, I I don't know, like, the, the purchasing of cards and acquiring cards through TCG Player versus Channel Fireball versus eBay, I mean, I know, like, one less thing in the competition pool is, you know, honestly a bad thing uh, for consumers. I get that. Uh, but I think I'm more just bummed about, like, um, competitions that Channel Fireball provided, and is TCG Player going to be stepping up with that? My guess is no, but, like, once again, that's just, like, one more thing of, like, legitimate competitive play that just seems to be, you know, dust in the wind. <laughs> Yeah, uh, dude, that's kind of where that's very well put because that's where my head went to. It was like, I don't know that I could claim to be an expert on the behind the scenes, like, you know, people that use pur- purchasing systems to acquire cards and how dealers work and how a local shop interacts with TCG Player. Because I know some people acquire their inventory from TCG Player quite a bit, mm-hmm. other people don't. A lot of people use TCG Player as their other selling avenue my hands are kind of in the air. Like a lot of times anymore when I buy cards, um, gosh, what saying this, it's like, I don't buy cards that often anymore, which is like a really painful thing. Um, 
but I just usually buy them from my local shop just because I'll kind of want to throw them a bone, if that makes sense. But yep. um, I, I, I hope this turns out well because my experience with Channel Fireball, while I have ordered cards through them and TCG Player before, my primary experience with Channel Fireball is taking in their video content. And specifically when they started doing draft videos with like LSV and some Reed Duke and all these other guys, really foundational to my learning curve as a magic player um, and understanding because this is kind of like pre twitch streaming of magic mm -hmm. and uh, I kind of miss those days because even now whenever I watch and this is a little great not a big deal but even when you watch LSV's videos on channel fireball now it's just usually a recording of his twitch stream mm -hmm. and I I am just such an old man. There's so much like noise with the like the chat going on and all this, and him interacting with the chat, and I feel myself getting a little distracted. I mean, I definitely want to use those moments as like a moment of study, and just seeing somebody ask about like you know, whatever other thing that's not that's a non sequitur sometimes mm -hmm. throws me a little bit. So uh, this is just me once again wishing for the glory days of Magic's past that shan't return. Yep. Um, <laughs> And what are you going to do? Uh, all right, Cameron. So one of the two of us saw Thor, and that is you. I want to get out of the segment, come back, and just kind of pick your brain a little bit. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So I don't know that I know of a Marvel movie that is more widely debated mm. than this one. Um I just laid on me, dude. What did you think of this latest uh, Marvel Cinematic venture? Fine. I felt like uh, Ant-Man. Like, don't really need to see it again. It seems kind of inconsequential to the larger, where are they going with this cinematic universe? Like, they, they've, they've taken Thor on, like, a wild ride, right? And, like, we've spoken to this before. He's the character that has probably had from his first movie to Avengers Endgame, the greatest arc out of, like, honestly, even more so than, like, Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans, right? Like, I, I really feel like they really took his character on um, a, an arc that no other Marvel character has had. So where do you go with Thor after this? And I think maybe the filmmakers were... That was in the front of their head a long time because um, this movie is not bad, and I enjoyed many aspects of it. I felt like maybe my biggest criticism is tonally it didn't work and jive in the same way that the La Thor Ragnarok worked where it's like, Oh, Chris Hemsworth is, you know, charming, good looking and, you know, funny and like all these other things on top of this, you know, Barbie doll of a man. Um, and they, I felt like leaned into the humor and expanded upon like those character moments with the humor even more so. Um, and it felt like some of the stakes with him as a character just weren't there in the same way. It kind of almost deflated any sort of tension there was. Um, and the, bringing back Natalie Portman's character, they did something that I didn't think was possible, which was like kind of show their relationship and show like a little bit of chemistry between those two actors, which I always felt like those first two movies, I never saw those two characters being interested in each other. And so Waititi did a really good job of kind of 
expounding upon that in a very clever way, I thought, and I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but like I said, I think the humor just, it was a little too humorous at points where maybe it didn't need to be, um, you know, Christian Bale was fine as a villain. Um, they're doing some interesting things with their villains now, which I appreciate, you know, trying to give them a little bit more complexity. Um, yeah, like I said, it's Ant-Man. It just felt kind of like a movie, but I don't know if it really is going to, connect to anything beyond it being a movie which is fine but it's just very unlike marvel i guess yeah and it's it, it's just kind of the thor stuff feels unanchored to where this thing started because it is one of the original you know phase one characters and basically the only one that stuck around mm-hmm. after everything and it's just like it, on one hand you want marvel to move forward on the other hand it just feels like they're using thor as this kind of experimental Maybe experimental is the wrong word, but this kind of like different section of what their universe is. And again, they're kind of in this very weird territory because the character is so different than the actual stories that you would be basing this off of. Whereas, you know, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, while that isn't necessarily a direct lift of a comic book story, there's multiple moments that are pulled from multiple Doctor Strange things and the tone matches those books, Mm -hmm. right? And so it just works better. I would argue Iron Man 2 had this problem where the demon in the bottle storyline is a very serious storyline. And they played it as kind of a laugh because it's Robert Downey Jr. And it kind of just didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I haven't run out and seen Thor. Um, But I am also one of these guys. I don't buy into like, you know, my brother-in-law is like this. He's like Marvel after Avengers Infinity War. The, it's all terrible, It's none of it's worth his time, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, well, that might be true of something like Eternals, which was kind of a disaster. Uh, I would argue that the Hawkeye show was really good. I think Miss mm-hmm. Marvel has been really good. Like, um, you know, it's okay for these things to be just pretty good. I like Shang-Chi yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but again, I just think there's a lot of importance and emphasis and like, and of course, the 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 the... The necess- the the uh, the criticism and the necessity for these movies, I think, gets way overstated. And I think if Top Gun's massive success has taught us anything, it's that people just want big event movies. It doesn't have to be a superhero movie, guys. Like you're kind of uh, putting blame on Marvel for doing what Marvel does, and then yeah, you know, it's more these other movies' faults for hey, well, let's have a universe too, right? Like that's totally, totally, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to talk about just really quickly, um, a very fast recommendation, which by the way, uh, been playing through the guardians of the galaxy, swing of Marvel video game with my son. Yeah. Uh, wow. That game is just super solid. Very underrated. Yeah. Uh, it's just a good single player. Good time. Reminds me a lot of an uncharted. You had recommended it to me. Uh, and the prices are criminally low. I think it's like widely available on, both the PlayStation and the Xbox, like Game Pass variants and whatever, man, you could do a lot worse than playing that game. And it's also gorgeous, by the way. Like, yeah, gorgeous. it looks good. I, I, for some reason, I do really enjoy the soundtrack that they have going on. And I don't know. It, it, yeah, that was a surprise for me how much I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, but I do want to mention uh, Amazing Spider Man just uh, restarted like three or four months ago. Um, so look, I am I am the king of 
critiquing Marvel for making new number ones. And then I'm in the comic shop and there's a new number one and I buy it. I have a problem, Cameron. Right. It's like that's that's great. That's that's reputable. I I appreciate you for doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's but uh, honestly, what I and they also get into this thing now with Marvel where they're like, it's number two. But legacy number six forty nine, and it's like okay, so none of this has any meaning. Why why not just make everyone a number one, number and one legacy, yeah. and then legacy number whatever. Anyway, uh, Daredevil recently restarted, um, and there was a number one, but it was like the same creative team, so I was very confused. <laughs> right, uh, but this new Spider Man, so uh, Amazing Spider Man is restarted. Zeb Wells is the writer who I'm not familiar with this stuff is all. But uh, John Romita Jr., who has drawn comic books forever, and I could, I have moments that I really like his style and moments that I think his style doesn't fit, but I always think of his stuff with both Spider-Man and Punisher books. And um, this is a really solid retake on what uh, Peter Parker is, because Peter Parker became this kind of like business mogul, mm-hmm. like tech billionaire kind of thing, and they've really taken that way down. Now he's another man on the street estranged from his wife and kids, behind on his bills, like the good stuff. What mm-hmm. Spider-Man should be. A guy struggling to make ends meet, struggling to do the right thing, despite his personal life really not holding together. And he's stuck in the middle of a mob war in these uh, issues, and it's just been really good stuff. And the art has really brought me back. Uh, maybe it's nostalgia, but I just think John Romita does a really good job with his Spider-Man, and outside of like, you know, there's there's Bagley, there's Ramita, and there's McFarlane, and then of course Ditko, but like, there's just mm-hmm. these really like iconic versions yeah. of Spider-Man that always stick with you, and his is one of it. So like, there is a nostalgia element to this too, but I would just advise people when it hits Marvel Unlimited, when it hits a collection, it is just a good solid Spider-Man book, which I haven't felt like has existed outside of Miles Morales in a while. Like, most of the time when people say, hey, I want to read Spider-Man, I always point them to the Miles Morales stuff because I think it's been more true to what the character is. Like, I really didn't connect with the tech billionaire stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, But it's been good. It's been really good. So, Amazing Spider-Man, I think, like, issue five or six is coming out soon. So, if if you're in the mood, it's very much worth picking up, and I'm sure they'll pump that trade out pretty quickly. Awesome. So... So, Cameron, if someone would like to get in touch with you about what it feels like to be a tech billionaire, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. I'll take any stock tips you have. <laughs> and I'm at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>